Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for each person who is here today. You know exactly what we need. We pray that by your Holy Spirit you'll feed us your truth and um, that you would open our ears to hear exactly what we need to hear. For your sake we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Seems like every week I get a story in my news feed. You know how it is once you click on one thing, then they keep feeding you more of these stories. Seems like every week I get uh, one of these stories about the decline of Christianity in the United States. And I got one of those stories uh, this week, and it was uh, talking about how in 2019, so obviously before the pandemic, there were more Protestant churches that, that closed than opened, a sign of, of the decline, according to this article of Christianity. In the same article, it said that there was a 15-year period, um, which ended in, in 2021, but the, over this 15-year period, there was a 15% decline in the number of U.S. adults who identified as Christian. So it went from... Uh, 78% to around 63% in that 15-year period. These are statistics. Uh, Some of us have stories, stories of people that we care about who once professed faith in Christ and for various reasons now no longer do so, no longer committed to Christ, no longer committed to his church. And my point in bringing this up is not really to talk uh, today about why this is happening. That's for another time. But, but just to point out that this is happening. And it seems to be picking up steam in, in some sectors of our culture. And because this is happening all around us, some people in the church may be tempted or feel pressured to follow suit. You too can have your Sunday mornings free, (laughs) just like me. You you can commune with God on the golf course, or in the woods, or while you're shopping. there's 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 a ton of reasons why this is happening, but for those of us who are inside the church, we, we might feel pressured. Or maybe, if we're not tempted to, to leave the faith, uh, we might be tempted to be discouraged about the faith and depressed. Maybe what Christ and His church has meant to us in the past, it, it no longer has the resonance, it no longer has the importance, it no longer has the excitement. Well, the letter to Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians who were pressured, who felt pressured to turn away from Christ and His church. And they were pressured to go back to what was familiar and what was more socially acceptable in their culture. They were pressured to go back to pure Judaism. These were Jewish Christians. And now they felt pressured to go back to pure Judaism, back to the temple, back to the sacrifices, back to the priests. And the author of Hebrews, this pastor who cares for these fellow brothers and sisters, these fellow Jewish Christians, is urging them throughout this letter, which we could almost think of as a sermon, 
urging them to hang on, to stay faithful to Christ, to don't not, not to not leave Jesus. And, and he begins to in this section that I want to look at at the end of chapter four, just these um, three verses, fourteen through sixteen begins to talk about the priestly minister of Jesus, his high priestly ministry. And the point here that he's making is Jesus is all you need spiritually. Jesus is who you need spiritually. Jesus is your perfect priest. Jesus is your perfect priest. And and so to make this point, to make this argument, he talks about these Four things that I want to talk about. The, the place of Jesus, your perfect priest. The person of Jesus, the identity of Jesus. The sympathy of Jesus, your priest. And then the provision of Jesus. So let's look at that this morning to encourage our hearts. So first of all, the, the place of Jesus Verse 14, since we have a great high priest, not just any high priest, that was great enough in the Old Testament times. That was an honor to be a high priest. Only one priest was chosen to be. But here there is a great high priest, a mega high priest. That's how it is in the Greek. Who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. So, today we celebrate the ascension of our Lord. We celebrate the ascension of Jesus. We read in the Gospel how He was taken up into heaven. That is, He was taken up into the presence of God. And to say that He passed through the heavens, it's as if He's saying, He passed through the normal space dimension that we are bound to. He passed through this normal space-time dimension into another dimension. That is the presence of God. So that is where our ascended priest is. He's at the right hand of the Father, as we say in the Creed, that is in a place of power and authority before the very face of God, in the presence of God. Now, for first century Jewish Christians, hearing this imagery of a high priest passing through into the presence of God, that would have had a particular resonance for them. They would have been thinking about the high priest in Israel who would pass through a veil, pass through this veil or this curtain into the innermost place of the temple, which was the most holy place or the holy of holies. And it was there, and you can read about this in in Leviticus uh, 16, but it was there in the most holy place that the... um, the Ark of the Covenant was, was placed. And there in the Ark of the Covenant was the, the Law of the, of, of the Covenant, the Ten Commandments. And on top of that Ark, in the Most Holy Place, was a golden slab. And that was called the Mercy Seat. And the High Priest, once a year, on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, Only on the Day of Atonement could he go into that most holy place. And uh, the, the Scripture says in Leviticus that the Lord, His manifest presence, 
would appear in a cloud over the mercy seat. And so, how is this priest, this high priest, going to survive being in the very presence of a holy God? Because he's not holy. Because he himself is a sinner. Well, God provided a way for him to be in his presence, to bring the blood of sacrifice. And he would take the blood of sacrifice and sprinkle it on the mercy seat. It was an atonement. The mercy seat was also called the seat of atonement. It was an atonement for his sin and the sins of his people. You see, God makes a way for us to be in his presence, and it's through the blood of sacrifice. And that is foreshadowing, of course, the work of Jesus Christ. And so the the author of Hebrews is saying, Jesus is a greater high priest. Because he did not come and he is not in a tent made of hands or a tabernacle made of hands. In fact, he says in Hebrews 9.24, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things. See, they're shadows of the true reality, which is heaven. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself. He's there in the very presence of His Father. And what is He doing there? Well, we sing about it in that wonderful hymn already this morning. But here the author says, He he is there to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. On our behalf. On your behalf. On my behalf. And then in another place in Hebrews 7, 25, he says that Jesus, our high priest, is able to save completely those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So he's there interceding for us. He's praying for us. He's praying for our faith. He's praying for us in the midst of our temptation and in the midst of our weakness. It's a great comfort, isn't it, when somebody says to you, I'll pray for you after you've shared what you're going through. And just to hear those words, I'll pray for you. It's even greater still if you know that they will pray for you, (laughs) that they are a person of prayer. How much greater is it to know that Jesus, our high priest, is praying for us in this place? of great power and authority, in the very presence of his Father, the Creator of all, that he has, as it were, the ear of his Father, that that he is praying for the people that he purchased with his sacrifice. It's a great comfort to know that. And to know that when we are praying for ourselves, for our family, for our loved ones, whether we're praying in church or in our car or in our office or in our workplace or throughout our day, when we are praying in the name of Jesus, when we are drawing near to God in prayer through Jesus, that's what the writer of Hebrews says, through Him, as we draw near through Him, then our prayers enter into the very throne room of God, that we're connected to heaven by this priest. That's where He is. That's the place of our priest. 
And then consider the person, the identity of Jesus, our high priest. It says that he is the Son of God. Jesus, the Son of God. That is, he is, he is divine. Um, and his, his divine nature is, is spoken of here in terms of his eternity. Um, that's the point of the reference to Melchizedek, this mysterious priest that appears in the early chapters of Genesis. Without it says any genealogy, where does he come from? This priest of Melchizedek that blessed Abraham. And he, he, it seems he, he, he comes from another place, another realm. He's a type of Christ. He foreshadows the work of Christ. But Jesus is a greater high priest. He's a greater Melchizedek because he's the very son of God. He's eternal. And then another thing that speaks to his divine nature is that he's without sin. He's the sinless one. Unlike the high priest, it says here that the high priest of Israel had to go into the, the, into the, the most holy with a sacrifice for himself, but not our Lord Jesus Christ. He was sinless. He did not commit any sin. His sacrifice for sin wasn't for him. It was for us. It was for you. It's what makes Christianity so different, doesn't it? All the other religions say that you have to somehow offer something to God to make yourself acceptable to Him. You have to offer your good works. You have to offer your good behavior. You have to perform these rituals. You have to toe the line in this way and that way. And then perhaps God will accept you, offer your sacrifice to Him. But here we see Jesus, our high priest, offered himself as a sacrifice to reconcile us to God, to bring us into his presence. The eternal sinless Son of God, that is our high priest. Therefore, under pressure, therefore, uh, under the influence of the world that would call us to loosen our grip on Christ, therefore, based on where he is and who he is, let us hold fast, he says, to our confession. We need a priest. We need a mediator. We have one in Jesus. You know, there's an idea that's prevalent in our culture that we don't need a mediator. We don't need a divine go-between, a, 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 a divine man who is also the Son of God because, well, some people believe that they are God or they're God-like becoming a very prevalent idea. There's one playwright who wrote, I found God in myself, and I love her fiercely. A uh, Silicon Valley software engineer uh, founded a group called The Way of the Future. And this group is dedicated, it says, to building the Godhead through AI. There's this idea that we are somehow God or goddesses, or we can create God in our own image or through our own ingenuity. We are made in the image of God, but we're not God. We're creatures. He's the creator. He's eternal. We are mortal. He is sinless. We are sinners. He's transcendent. We are here on earth. And the only way to get to him is through a mediator. And in his goodness 
and in His mercy and in His grace and in His love. That's what He's provided. We are not God. Just ask your spouse or your friends. Third, consider the sympathy of Jesus, your high priest. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. What a remarkable thought that the divine Son of God did face temptation. He knows the pressure of temptation coming against him. But he knows it better than you and I because he never gave in to that pressure. We often throw in the towel. He stood for the entire fight. He knows what it is to feel temptation. Yes, he's the divine son of God who dwells in the presence of God, but he's not out of touch. He's not out of touch with us. With humanity. I'm going to date myself here, but you might remember when George, the first President Bush, ran for re election and he lost. And, uh, and it was, one of the reasons he lost, they said, was that he was out of touch with the common person. And there was a scene when he went to the grocery store and he saw the price of milk and he was shocked at how much the milk cost. And so, Fairly or unfairly, he was cast as a leader who was out of touch with the ordinary person, with the ordinary man on the street. Well, that's not Jesus. He's not out of touch with humanity. He was fully humanity. And so he knows what it is to battle temptation. In every respect, tempted as we are, yet without sin. Anybody here tempted in the area of physical appetites? The desire to fulfill physical appetites in a way that's contrary to the will of God. Well, Jesus faced that temptation in the wilderness, didn't he? He was hungry after 40 days of fasting. And Satan came to him and said, well, you can fulfill your appetite just like this. Turn these stones into bread if you have that kind of power. And Jesus resisted that temptation. He knows what it is to be tempted in the area of power and fame and influence. Satan came to him and said, I will give you all these kingdoms, the kingdoms of the world, if you will just bow down and worship me, all this power and authority. It can be yours, all this recognition, it can be yours. And Jesus resisted that temptation and said, I'm to worship God alone. So Jesus knows temptation. Jesus knows suffering. It says at verse 7, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. He suffered. He cried with loud cries, with tears. He knows what rejection is. His own people rejected him, most of them. He, he knows disappointment. His friends abandon him. He's, he knows pain. He knows physical pain. No, he didn't grow old and suffer the natural breakdown of the body. But he died on a cross 
He knows what it is to have a broken body. He is acquainted with our weakness, and so he can help us in our weakness. He is acquainted with temptation, so he can help us in our temptation. He will not turn away from you in disappointment. He will not shut the door in disgust. He will not roll his eyes at your tears, at your cries. He's been there. He's a sympathetic high priest. And so we can go to him. And that's where this leads. Here's the the imperative. There's two imperatives. There's two things that this preacher wants us to do. One is to, to hang on. Hang on to your confession. The other is to press on. (laughs) Go boldly to the throne of grace. That's where you're going to find the help you need. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace in the time of need. Excuse me, to find grace to help in the time of need. To find timely help. That could be translated. Just in time help, you will get that from your high priest. That's what he provides, help. He provides help. It's an interesting word that's translated there, help. It's not used too often in the New Testament. Behind that word is the image of a rope or a chain that is used for a boat in order to be moored to the shore. There has to be something to attach that boat or it's going to float away. That's the help. That's what the the, the author here is saying. The idea is of a person who feels untethered, untethered by their weakness, overwhelmed by temptation, pressured to leave the faith, pressured to, because of the outside pressure and inward sin, to just walk away from it all. And he's saying, you can go to your priest and he's going to give you this help. He's going to give you this rope that you can hang on to. It's there. It's available. Just in time. Mercy and grace. One commentator made the distinction like this between mercy and grace. We need mercy for our past. We need grace for our present and our future work. We need mercy for our past failings, for our sin. Anybody here feel that? We need mercy for the things that we've done and the things we've left undone. And we need grace. We need God's sustaining grace for what he's given us to do now and in the future. It's available in Christ, this author is saying, your high priest. It's there at the throne of grace and he's ready to pour it out. Can you look back on your life and can you see how Christ has done that as you've approached his throne of grace? Can you see how he's forgiven you? Can you look back on times where you were wondering, how am I going to get through this? And you've got a fresh supply of grace, a fresh supply. Wonderful. There's been times in my own ministry where I felt that, where I just, I don't know exactly what to say, what to preach, what to do. And to spend time in God's presence through Christ and to receive that fresh supply. It's so strengthening. It's so renewing. What would it mean for you? What would it mean for me to go to, uh, to Christ in prayer more regularly? And ask Him for these two things. Mercy. Forgiveness. And grace. Grace for today. Grace for tomorrow. How could you build that into your life? 
a little bit more, a little bit more mercy, a little bit more grace. We need help. We need this kind of help. I heard an interview this week, of of all things, I heard an interview from um, Rain Wilson, who played Dwight on The Office. Maybe you've heard this or heard about this. But um, in this interview, he's written a book about spirituality. And in this interview, Dwight from The Office was actually pretty insightful. And he said, you know, as you look at where our culture is today, and especially younger people, what we're seeing is suicide, mental illness, depression, anxiety, a sense of meaninglessness among many young people today. There's an epidemic of these things. And so he said, and yet at the same time, many of our young people are turning away from God. They're turning away from spirituality, as he put it. And it's that that can give them strength. Now, I I disagreed with his prescription because he wasn't promoting Christ alone. But the diagnosis, I think, was right. Where he said, we need help. Our culture needs help. And that help that we need comes from God. We need help. And so, friends, when other people may be letting go of their confession, hold fast. Christ is who you need. Christ is who I need. When when other people are drawing away, draw near. Because there's the throne of grace. It's through Him. And He will give you exactly what you need. Your perfect priest. Amen. Let's pray. Maybe we could do that even now. We could go to the throne of grace. And we can say, God, thank you for making a way for us to be in your presence. Through Christ, our high priest, who is also the sacrifice for our sin. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who feels distant from you, that they would by faith put their trust in what you have given them in Jesus so that they can be brought near to you. They can know that they're right with you. And I pray for all of us because we all need mercy and grace. We need forgiveness and we need help. You know what we're going through. You know what we bring today. You know what is heavy on our hearts. You know the anxieties. Lord, would you draw us deeper into your presence through prayer. And you, I pray, would you give us a refreshing strength to go forward and to hang on. No matter what's happening around us, to hang on to you until the very end. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.